Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of This Uncanny Earth, the weekly show that takes a look at all the unknown and strange, uncanny things that happen on this beautiful planet of ours. And today, we have one of our biggest guests, um, someone I was very excited to get on that I had talked to about. And, uh, well, ladies and gentlemen, Seth Breedlove. Oh, yeah, we'll give you the applause. (laughs) Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Welcome to the show, Seth. How are you doing today? Good. I'm good. Uh, just staying, staying busy, finishing up, uh, finishing up our next film, Terror in the Skies, and and pushing further with the uh, kind of rollout of On the Trail of Bigfoot, which has been, I think it came out like two, two and a half weeks ago, and it's done really well. So we're really pumped mm. up about that. So it's been a busy, like crazy busy, so far. Much, much crazier than i had initially expected i think on the trail of bigfoot really like was was a lot more much larger workload than we originally expected like it it was honestly like i approached it like it was going to be a fun Mm -hmm. side project and then it just turned into um massive amounts of of editing work that i was not expecting every single episode of on the trail of bigfoot got edited uh, at least like completely overhauled at least twice. And then uh, that was just to get sort of the rough story in place. So it took me like a week or two just to get a rough cut of each episode, which for us, I mean, just to give you context, the rough cut of terror in the skies was put together in about two weeks. And that's an hour long movie. Whereas on the trail of Bigfoot are, are little like 23 minute mm-hmm. chunks. But for some reason, those 23, 30 minute chunks were taking me, mm-hmm you know, like weeks to, to pound out for some reason. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a crazy year, but, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a lot of fun and I, you know, I got to see you guys at the, uh, the palace screening. Uh-huh. So it's been a good year. That was we actually too. saw, Oh yeah. We actually saw you at, uh, the beast of Bray road is when we first talked. And I yeah. remember getting into that theater and the crowd was still a nice size, but then compare that Oh yeah, the big on the trail of Bigfoot. My goodness, it was it was hard to find a seat. Yeah, we we were literally were driving around. That was that was a a crazy. I'm not sure. We've we've been kind of racking our brains as to what caused that because we've we've been screening movies at the palace for you know four years basically since Minerva Monster came out, and the biggest screening we'd ever had was like 150 people, and. yeah, that was a 500 plus crowd after they gave me the head count. It was over 500 people. So, I mean, some of it, you know, is, is I know with Minerva, when Minerva monster came out, that was, that was a fairly big screening, but the, the crowd for that was, it probably was a little smaller because we had done other screenings in the area. So some people had already seen it, but with this one, it was just unexpected. I, uh, we, I mean, obviously it was, it was a happy accident, but, uh, not, yeah, definitely not, expected um my my goal for that was to try to get 300 people there so we went like 200 over my goal but i i had a (laughs) sense that was going to happen when i had asked them what the pre-sales were about two weeks out like two weeks before the screening and we were already at um double the last screening we had done wow period like door sales and everything so the pre-sale numbers alone were over like what all of our attendance was for for Bray Road, <laughs> and Bray Road was cool. You know, you had a uh, Lyle Blackburn do the uh, the narrating on that one, and it was it, it was a real horror themed 
um, documentary, which was fantastic. But then you you actually, and this is what I like about a lot of what you do and how your cinematics play out. You kind of flipped it and did more of like, okay, so now we are the ones who are who are kind of exploring this, and we're we're kind of putting you sort of into the into like a first person mode with these people that were there and and uh, the one guy he was he was ready to shoot on sight they were ready you know and they had the excuse me the conflict of do we kill it and give it to science to to kind of uh, dissect or do we just kind of tag and release and your the film hit that i mean it, it nailed it home in a way that none of your other films do and your other films do yeah. other things that their films don't do and it's fantastic yeah i mean the films are are cinematic and they're they're not uh they're 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 very much like a cinematic style documentary rather than like a verite style mm -hmm. documentary mm -hmm. and um and so like and they're going to continue to be that like i don't see at least not in the foreseeable future, not out of the next like three movies coming out They're They're, they're only going to continue pushing further toward the cinematic style. Um, but on the trail of gives us the opportunity to, you know, be a little bit more run and gun and sort of embrace that like verite style and uh, much more of like a new shooter style. And I mean, honestly, I love what Alexander did with, with on the trail of champ because it was, him it was all him making that and that is the reason why i you know went out and made on the trail of bigfoot by myself but during the making of on the trail of champ i had actually encouraged him to include himself in that series and he just didn't want to do it and in retrospect i wish he had because i think it would have been a cool alexander's a really interesting personality and he's you know he's it, we we have a lot in common so i think it would have been a cool addition to that project but definitely with on the trail of bigfoot it fit with what we were trying to do um it fit with like that that in the moment you know style mm -hmm. that we were going for to actually include um i mean i i was actually just thinking about this earlier tonight i see a lot of like paranormal documentaries that that are more about sort of and, and i'm not bagging on any particular film or filmmaker or anything like that because everyone does their own thing and that's what makes it film and filmmaking and that's what makes it fun um but there there are so many paranormal documentaries that are just sort of about like a personality establishing mm -hmm. themselves as you know just telling their story and that's what it's all about it's like this is me uh, this is my story. And a lot of time it's done through this weird lens of like establishing them as, as cool or, or like an icon or something, yep. which always kind of weirds me out. Um, there's one particular filmmaker right now who's like very big in the, in the UFO community who includes himself in like all his films. And it's all, it, there's this weird, like establishing yourself as some sort of icon and so that was like this was actually a bit of a response to, to that. I had actually just watched someone else's movie where they included themselves, and I was like, "Well, that's how not to do it." So can I can I create something, you know, where where I'm in it, but it's more as a device, like using myself as a as a device to tell a story of a subject that spans centuries. Mm. Um, and you know, like honestly, when you're when you're dealing with twenty two interviews or 22 interview subjects multiple locations across 14 different states 
all the people and personalities that you have to get through, all the history you have to condense. Um, the the easiest way to really do that was to include myself in some capacity. And it also kept it visually interesting because you've got, you still have that kind of like static documentary style to, uh, especially those first three episodes, which is walking you through the history. Like that still does have kind of the typical STM setup. Um, but when you have those bookends where I'm talking to people, it adds a little bit of a, you know, a visual, uh, I guess a, uh, something to characteristically define it and set it apart from the rest of the film mm. episodes, episodes of the series. It's weird because I keep calling it a film, but it's a mini series. And and what I what I like about um, the mini series is that you can tell there's a difference between the mini series and you know the Flatwoods Monster, the Beast of Bray Road, or the Minerva Monster. Because in in the in the avenue of a, of a miniseries, it keeps you guessing to the next one. You know, with with uh, the Beast of Bray Road, you basically said, "Okay, this is this is this is it." You know, I'm not I'm not necessarily going out and heading out to to find this thing, but I'm letting you know that this thing is here. It's been sighted. But with Bigfoot, you kind of said, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to go out there. I'm going to check this thing out. I'm going to see what's going on." And I think that really takes the the um, viewer sort of into that realm, into that, well, maybe if, if they can do it, then maybe I can go out there and stay in the woods. And, and you did a great job of doing the the sort of um, weekend warrior Bigfoot hunters, if I may say yeah. so. And, and you yeah. know, that was fantastic because a lot, a lot, not a lot of people have the kind of money that some of these other groups do. They can only go out maybe, you know, once a month or once every couple months. And I think you did a great job of – showcasing those people and you you do that in all of your films you do a fantastic job of showcasing the emotion and the feeling that these people are going through because a lot of these people are living some of these kind of nightmare scenarios that many of us have no clue about yeah yeah i think i think especially when it comes down to like the weekend where your big footer types like there there's a stereotype connected to those people and and that stereotype when you first meet mike and mike uh specifically the night stalkers like they kind of play and this isn't me critiquing them or anything but it's just an observation like they kind of play into that stereotype when you first meet them you know like they wear camo and they you know they wear their t-shirts and they look like two two dudes that you would expect to spend their weekends bigfooting but like i thought i thought some of the stuff they said and we left out some of the pieces of their interview that were even more uh indicative of what they're like as people like they 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 might have a little bit of that stereotype in them but you know like at the end of the day like they really do love the subject Mm -hmm. and they love the idea of of the um unexplained and and the unexplored and they they i mean at one point during his interview mike got so emotional he almost started crying because he was talking about how kids uh just don't spend time out outside anymore Mm -hmm. and um Mm -hmm. how how he wanted you know a, a big part of being into the subject for him is getting outside and trying to get kids involved and going outdoors and stuff like that. So, you know, like they might play into the stereotype in some ways, but I I think, I think, you know, for the most part, those guys are, are, are genuinely in love with the, with the subject and and with going out and, and having some sort of interaction and, you know, and, and, 
and I went into that Adams County situation extremely skeptical. Like I was convinced uh, that you know it's Southern Ohio, and I know it's it's really isolated. But I I was also convinced there probably anything down where we were going at that particular time because it was mid December, you know. So you're not talking any, and you're talking about an area that's close to. You know, there, there are some populated areas near there. So even though it's definitely a little more rural and isolated than other parts of Ohio, it's still, you know, there's pockets of civilization all over the place. There's people living in the woods and there's no. So if, if Bigfoot's hiding out, why is it going to do it in a place where people could see it at, at pretty much any any time? And yet while we were there, we recorded some really weird mm-hmm. <laughs> in the middle right. of the night. Um an experience, you know, if nothing else, we experienced one of the creepiest things that I've ever experienced in the woods, which was um, we actually I don't know if you've ever seen those the, the Night Stalkers episode of uh, a show that's on TV called, called Terror in the Woods. I think that's what it is. It's on Travel Channel. But uh, they did an interview in that show and they talked about going to this graveyard where they had a, a sighting or an encounter. And, and actually when we were out with them, they took us to that location and it was a graveyard at the top of a, a mountain where, and uh, it was the, the darkest I've ever seen a location. And that's coming from someone who is in the Wachita mountains uh, down in the valley in, a, in what is essentially a, a rainforest in North America. And I still think that that this mountain in southern Ohio on a clear night with no tree or leaf canopy was the darkest place I've ever been. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. You couldn't see anything. So we're up on top of this mountain. It's like 1 a.m. We... Um, we left two of the people that were with us with a recorder to do call blasting. And we walked, uh, you know, maybe like 500 yards away. It wasn't terribly far, but we walked down to the end of this gravel driveway and, um, someone did a call. And as soon as they did a call, these coyotes picked up the call and, and then other coyotes picked up the call. <laughs> and by the time, by the time it was done, the coyotes were coming from all directions like 360 degrees you could hear coyotes in every direction and the the it went on for over a minute uh and sounded like sirens like coming toward us like that's what it was the craziest thing i've ever heard in my life um and it had nothing to do with bigfoot it just was coyotes howling but it was still unbelievably unnerving excellent um are you when uh, when we watched the Beast of Bray Road, I remember I asked you guys during that investigation if you'd had anything really kind of out of the ordinary happen to you, and you guys had told the story about the bird hitting the window, and uh, yeah, and this is exactly the kind of stuff that I love to hear. Like you go out there and you're you're doing these investigations and things like that, and sometimes people like who are doing the investigating for for the films. They don't ever find anything, but this is great stuff because even if it's not connected, it's just like something strange happened there, <clears throat> right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a that was a, a weird incident, and that was like one of the the only like weird things we've had happen while making one of these movies. We actually, as many places as we've been to where supposedly paranormal activity is mm. is being recalled, this was like one of the few cases where we were in a in a place and actually had something happen and you know part of it was that the interview itself that we were doing was so creepy um, because it was it was with john 
uh, Fredrickson, who was the Walworth County Animal Control Officer, and John had claimed, or, or not had claimed, but he had collected um, eyewitness reports of the Beast of Bray Road during the late 80s and early 90s. And uh, the Beast of Bray Road was this sort of like werewolf type creature that was seen on this road just outside of uh, Elkhorn, Wisconsin. Um, taking all these reports, he was an animal control officer. He had a file marked werewolf. And uh, during that same time, he was also investigating a series of animal mutilations that were mm. taking place in the woods around uh, Walworth County, where he was stationed. And he came to believe that the the Beast of Bray Road was some sort of a cult-type beast that had been called forth by a uh, demonic cult. And that is 100% what he, what he basically <laughs> told us, as weird as that might sound. Um, but, but he was in the middle of, like, telling us that particular, you know, piece of information. And this this blackbird just smashed into the window behind him. <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, like, it was it was a weird we, – we, we had a lot of fun on that shoot. I think everyone actually says that the, that – that was their favorite shoot that they've done so far because it was, you know, like it, we rented a house. We were able to basically turn the basement of the house into a studio, shot all our interviews down there for the most part, other than I think one or two. Um, and it was just a really easygoing kind of shoot. But the entire time we were there, it was never sunny. I don't think we ever saw the sun the entire time. The, the, the sky was just like constantly overcast and it wasn't raining or anything like that. It was just overcast and huge clouds. If the sun was out, you never actually saw it. It was, it was behind these huge clouds. So <laughs> the moodiness of that entire shoot was really, Excellent. really prevalent. Excellent. And then to have this, this weird, like black bird fly head <laughs> into this window during the middle of this dude's interview, just kind of capitalized on it. I bet you probably just jumped out of your skin at that point. Uh, well, like we were, the first thing we did was double check that we, we were getting all that on camera, like, it, cause it is on camera. I just haven't put it out there yet. At some mm -hmm. point we'll do like a, a director's cut and I'll include that as like a special feature or something. Cause it's a really weird thing. Now I, I want to ask you a, a question here, Seth. Now, what age did you get into this kind of uh, uh, cryptid idea and the whole concept of wanting to go out and document these kind of things because before um, I, I knew about you and what you did, I, I knew about the Flatwoods monster, but a lot of this other stuff, I, I you know I didn't know about the Minerva monster. I sure didn't know about the Bray Road Beast. So, what kind of got you into this um, this this whole genre of filmmaking? I mean, there's a couple different that uh, because the the actual point where i got into the subject was probably like 2005 2006 um it, you know it, it, that was a very casual sort of passing interest and i would watch shows and read books and stuff like that and that's about it like i was i it wasn't until i i got a uh, a medical billing job in like 2011 and uh i was basically relegated to just sitting in a cubicle and listening to podcasts all day that I really became interested in the subject. So it's only been, you know, like nine years that I've, I've been really into this. And, um, it was at some time in 2013 that I wrote the, the book proposal for, for small town monsters. And then that book proposal 
uh, became our first movie, which was called Minerva Monster, which spawned the next movie, which was Beast of Whitehall. And, and like basically we started making movies based on my initial book proposal, at least up until we got to uh, the Mothman, Mothman of Point Pleasant. Um, but as far as like the film and all that stuff, like I uh, – I had a weird experience making Minerva monster where I never actually associated what we were doing with making a movie. I just like, I, I just thought of it as, as another one of like my, my writing assignments or something. Cause I used to do freelance newspaper reporting. So like, I think I just approached it. Like it was just another assignment. And uh, it wasn't until we actually had the, the premiere in Minerva and there was, 1200 people showed up that I, I had like a, an epiphany that, Oh yeah, we, like made a movie and people are actually watching it. So, um, you know, and then, and then from there it just, uh, I knew going into Minerva monster that I wanted it to have a, a style and a tone and, and all that, that would at least somewhat set it apart. You know, for the most part, it is very much your typical low budget paranormal documentary. Like I, I, I know I, I talked to a lot of people who really respond to that film and they enjoy it. Um, but for the most part, it's us finding our way and uh, it's very amateurish, but it does have a, a mood and a tone. And um, I thought that was very important. So going forward, that helped inform each movie, you know, that we had and we we didn't have money. So like the budgets, the, the production value had to come from the locations rather than any kind of like effects. I mean, it wasn't until we made Mothman that we actually started putting any kind of effects into the films we were making and through those early the first three movies the all the production value had to just come from the fact that we were putting you in the location where these things were said to have happened um and that still plays a big part in in what we do today but um yeah i think the whole thing the whole small town monsters uh sort of history spawns from the fact that i was really bored and and it gave me an appreciation for for an understanding of of you know like why i would want to do something i love for a living instead of something i did not love and uh and that's you know like actually just today one of the guys messaged me and said hey i saw you're up to like 3 a.m the other night because i was on some you know i was on another show or something he's like how do you do it like how do you edit and all that? I was like, honestly, I think it's desperation. Like, <laughs> like the idea, the idea of going back to some of the jobs that I've had before. Like, it keeps me, it keeps me invested in, in trying to get better at what we're doing and continuing to to push, you know, to to, to grow at Small Town Monsters as a as a production company and and just keep improving the quality of our storytelling. Like that's, it always comes down to that as being the most important thing for me is that we are constantly improving in every area of what we do. Hopefully people see it that way. And that's, that's what actually we've been doing here. We've, uh, you know, this is episode 31 and, uh, I, like you, I, I had worked so many just rough jobs and spider and I had worked a job together and it was just, I was just tired of doing the same thing and not using, my brain doing it. It was just something that just, I was like, oh, this is, and then one day I had a an epiphany. I'm like, well, all these podcasts, but nobody's really doing kind of anything in the same realm that I'm thinking of doing. And much like you, 
you know, I, I've never seen anybody that, that is even close to doing what you're doing. I said to myself, you know what, this is what I want to do. So I'm going to kick, claw, scrape, whatever it takes to get my way or to get myself up there. And uh, finally, luckily, um, I had uh, messaged you, I believe, and I said, hey, you know, you want to be on the show? And uh, when you said yes, I was like, you know, I, you know, it's little little steps. Like, you know, I told Spider, as soon as you said yes, I was like, I, I about probably yelled out of the house. My wife probably like, what is this? What is wrong with this guy downstairs? He's crazy. This guy is crazy. I'm in Canton and I could hear him from all the way over in Norton. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was just so exciting because like you, I, I fell in love with this kind of stuff when I was a kid watching shows like In Search Of that Leonard Nimoy did. And I was always like, yeah, I would like to do something in that realm someday. But, you know, life happens and, and you, you kind of forget about it. And then uh, about 10 years ago, I started reading books by uh, Zachariah Sitchin and kind of just reading all kinds of just odd books that not many people talk about. And um, about about we're going on almost a year here on the show. I said, you know what, I'm going to put a, a show out there. And I talked to Spider because we're kind of in the same kind of thought process about stuff like this. Mm. And so, you know, I've been working hard on it. Yeah, you know, I've been, it's been my baby. I've been nurturing it, watching it grow. Um, we have you on, which is this, this is the pinnacle right here. Like to me, this is the pinnacle of our oh, show. Man, you you got to have lofty, loftier goals. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just cool because I finally, we finally are starting to get guests on and you're, you're a local guy, you know, me and you aren't, aren't too far uh, away from each other. And I thought, you know what? He's close to where I live. You know, let, let's kind of put a local spotlight out there because, you know, this kind of stuff doesn't get a lot of a lot of attention like, you know, some of your your other kind of um, shows and, and the drama that goes on in the real world. And, you know, we offer something I think that people have in the back of their mind. You know, people are always like, oh, yeah, I heard about that Bigfoot guy once. Well, what's we going can't on all with be, him? Uh, we can't all be Zach Baggins and having <laughs> demonic possessions all the time, right? <laughs> I mean, we, we can hope, yeah. but but I, you know, I, like I said, I, I do appreciate you coming on, and I and I do, um, I do en- enjoy your films, and I think my my personal favorite of your films is by far the Green Monster, and then Mothman. After that, mm-hmm. reason being is I have my family are from <clears throat> that kind of area, you know, from Braxton County, uh, Flatwoods, uh, Gasway. I have relatives that still live in Gasway to this day. And, you know, when I when I would talk to them, uh, I would say about four or five years ago, they would tell me, yeah, you know, that night it was crazy because they, they saw uh, a couple I talked to said they saw UFOs or flashing lights in the sky in other counties. It wasn't just, you know, Braxton County where this happened. Um, and, and my question to you is, why do you think West Virginia is home to so many variations of cryptids, Mothman? Green Monster, the Grafton, Grafton Monster. Yeah. 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 We're, we're actually going to explore some of that in uh, the Mothman legacy next year um, and, and get a little bit more into that, like Appalachian lore side of things. But I mean, it's definitely true. Like that, that area, um, but, but that area specifically of the state yes. has, has a lot of strange activity and we kind of, scratched the surface with Ashley's interview where she talks about her, her grandparents growing up and, and how they saw stuff on the Hills. And, you know, obviously she also claimed that her grandma had a sighting of the, of the Flatwoods monster, like two weeks before the uh, August event. 
or September event. But um, the I, I don't know what's causing it, but the the history and the uh, sheer number of reports of various phenomena is actually a lot larger than than I think anyone realizes. Like it's you get up into those hills and you talk to anyone and they've all got stories. It's it's right. not like just a person here or there. Um, it's it's pretty much everyone you talk to. So I think that is very fascinating and, and that is unlike any other part of the country that I'm aware of uh, as far as one particular state where you've got this much sort of constant activity. The, the um, I, I actually have had a friend who had a, a UFO sighting um, like an hour north of Flatwoods itself, but, you know, it's still like there's, there's a lot of weird stuff in West Virginia and it does it's it's not new either this goes back no. centuries um and and we're going to we're going to explore that some in in that Mothman movie um because we've already you know Mothman Legacy is going to be a, a direct sequel it's our first time doing a direct sequel so we're going to do a direct sequel to the Mothman of Point Pleasant but we've already explored the history of Point Pleasant so what I want to do is expand out and explore the history of the state and specifically the weird history of the state right um so so yeah we're we're definitely going to start diving into that because there's a long history uh in west virginia of spook lights and strange lights in the woods and all that kind of stuff too and and some of that seems to correlate with with even the the 1966-67 flap and that flap you know the the what they call the mothman flap right. was obviously not just mothman it was sightings of ufos and men in black as well and other phenomena but um the the ufos were seen everywhere all over the state during 66 and 67 and didn't stop then it continued into the 70s um but especially during 66 and 67 there were there were so many sightings in the hills um more toward the central part of west virginia um that it's it's kind of crazy i knew a, a a person that lived up in the hills that had a farm and they had numerous stories about seeing things in the skies during that particular period of time for like a five-year period where there was constantly some strange lights in the sky so i don't know what it is about that area uh and and you know west virginia specifically but that that central part of the state especially it's almost uh you know like a magnet some sort of magnet for for really strange phenomena well they they say that even native americans that because you you say it goes back centuries and you're right they say that Native Americans would avoid the area altogether. Like there was just something that wasn't right or off even about that area. And you always hear about, and, and a lot of people love to say, uh, you know, those, those they're hill folk or they're hillbillies or this and that. But when you get to talk to them, they're actually intelligent folks, mm-hmm. you know, and they're, they're good people. Cause I, like you, I've, I've, since I have family there, I've talked to people and I've, I've had people say, yeah, you know, I was driving home one night and, and I was going to get groceries, and and boom, you know the a UFO. They it basically plopped down almost right on top of them and stalled the car out. Um, the, the car wouldn't turn back on and just kind of hovered there for a second. And I'm thinking to myself because I'm putting Green Monster, I'm putting Mothman, I'm putting Grafton, and I'm thinking, why, why West Virginia out of all the fifty states, you know, and. and a lot of people say because they, you know, it could be the government testing out new 
um, uh, vehicles and, and this and that. And that's why the men in black come in so that, you know, it's a hush hush thing. So nobody goes off and investigates. Um, and, and maybe there's a, there's a, there's a, a line of truth to that, but the fact that the, the phenomena of UFOs and, and cryptids and sightings there is so high really makes you question. And I'm glad you're delving more into that because nobody seems to be going into that and, and putting one in, you know, putting all these, these different things together and saying, why is West Virginia the place of sightings? Well, I'm not even sure it's, it's just West Virginia. Um, it, it, it could be the, the Appalachians in general, because you you've got the, that lore seems to stretch along that, that mountain range and, and through the foothills. Um, but there's also something really weird about the Ohio Valley just in general, because like I talked about this a lot when we were making invasion on Chestnut Ridge, when I, when I was a kid, my, my parents owned a bookstore and um, on the weekends we traveled to, to book shows and from basically from March until November, we were gone every weekend and we, we traveled through, you know, all these small towns in West Virginia and Pennsylvania. And I always thought it was so creepy and weird how these small towns and some of these rural areas are almost like stuck in a, uh, a time hole. Like yeah. they, like yep. I can remember going through towns where you, you would swear you were still in the seventies. Like the cars were still seventies. Yep. And, um, and there was something unsettling about that, that I wanted to tap into with invasion on chestnut Ridge. But I think, I think whatever it is about the Ohio Valley that like Steubenville and like, <laughs> right, like that, right, that right. weird, like Ohio Valley area. I grew up in Bolivar and our TV, our TV channel, my parents had a TV. We didn't have cable. We just had rabbit ears. And the only <laughs> channel we got was a Wheeling, West Virginia channel. And so, so that was like growing up, everything was Ohio Valley, this Ohio Valley, that, and there was constantly news on TV about ghosts, uh, UFO sightings, Bigfoot sightings. It was, uh, so I don't know what it is about that, that particular area and the Appalachians in general. I just want to, I want to really like expand on that in, in that particular film and in, in the Mothman uh, legacy film, because I think there's a lot, I mean, obviously our, our Mothman movie, a lot of these aspects of, of, you know, the, that particular case, but it doesn't necessarily sort of broaden out to as a whole. It, we stayed pretty localized to Point Pleasant. Um, and though we did, you know, we mentioned the, the Flatwoods monster, but we didn't, we didn't necessarily, um, in depth on that or really connect it to the, to the Mothman case and vice versa. Like we didn't do that with the Flatwoods monster movie either, but, uh, there is, there's something about that area that I find really fascinating and hope to just kind of continually revisit as weird as that sounds like I'd like to do, I'd like to do an on the trail of at some point. That's just that kind of section, like on the trail of West Virginia cryptids or lore or something like that. Cause <laughs> there's so much there. And like, we, you know, we mentioned the Mothman and Flatwoods monster and Grafton monster, but those are the well-known ones. There's, there, there are so many in that area that, that people aren't aware of. Now I have, by the way, the, the oh. second, the thing that always gets left out, not to derail us real quick, but like no, you're fine. the, uh, there was a second wave of Flatwoods monster sightings in the seventies. Um, it was just a foot, 
they called it the Flatwoods Monster because it was being seen around Flatwoods. Um, and it, and if you do any kind of like newspaper archival research and you look for the Flatwoods Monster, that's actually the first thing that'll turn up are these newspaper reports from the 70s where people started seeing a Bigfoot near the town of Flatwoods. So they just started calling it the Flatwoods Monster. Mm. Uh, and, and they were like the headlines were like the Flatwoods Monster Returns. And I was like, this the the descriptions don't even come close to matching what was seen in the fifties. So I'm not really like they couldn't name it anything else. But I do think that's funny that there's actually two Flatwoods monsters. <laughs> Maybe they know each other and they hang out on the weekends, or they got to yeah, fight it out for the title. <laughs> now, oh. um, I, I wanted to ask you because the, a theory that I have is, you know, we 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 kind of jumped into the nuclear age after the um. The, the bombing of Nagasaki and uh, Hiroshima. And I, I wanted to ask you, do you think our advancement and our multiple nuclear discharges, because, you know, those two um, bombings weren't the only two. They did a lot of tests on Bikini Atoll, and um, I believe the Arizona desert was another spot. Do you think that the the nuclear age kind of ushered in this sort of – UFO because it, it you know science fiction really kind of took off after that point there was a lot of uh, books written shows everything under the sun seemed to be science fiction but do you think the nuclear age kind of aided in these sightings of cryptids not in the sense that oh I saw a monster on TV but more in this happened so this is kind of drawing the creatures or the cryptids out uh, in the open to everybody I think. I think what I see about that era that that you know that definitely seems to have played into the proliferation of of UFOs and and cryptids and specifically like cases like the Flatwoods monster. I think I think Bigfoot's a completely different sort of topic, but the the the, the more sci-fi uh seeming, you know, sort of cryptids I think scientifically people's minds were sort of open to what, what we can achieve. Um, and all of a sudden everyone started thinking in, in new ways that hadn't, they hadn't before. Um, and it, you know, like whether, whether Hollywood was responding to UFO sightings and alien encounters in the movies or if reports were coming in because of Hollywood's use of them in films is up for debate. And, and you know, I'm not writing off reports, uh, you know, like all reports of UFOs and, and aliens right. or monsters or whatever by saying that. But I do think that that it could go both ways. You know, I think, I think Hollywood was, was definitely using the UFO subject uh, as, as subject matter. You know, if you look at uh, earth versus the flying saucers, which is one of my all time favorite UFO movies. I mean, it was, it was inspired by a, a really famous UFO book of the time. Um, so, so they were definitely mining, you know, the, the actual ongoing ufology and, and uh, you know, some of the really out there, crypto stories that seem to be floating around but you know like how the two are connected i don't i don't necessarily an opinion on it you know like i've i've obviously been trying to establish some sort of opinion on it because in in the flatwoods monster movie especially you know like we we 
sort of explore that idea that there were, you know, 1952 comes, um, you know, the, the Flatwoods monster scene in, in September of 1952, September 15th, if I'm not mistaken, of 1952, which is, you know, like one year after uh, the, the day the first two, it still comes out. So there's the, some of these things can't just be coincidence, you know, that the, there's uh, the, the popularity of those in aliens in Hollywood seems to align perfectly with, you know, like all of a sudden everyone's actually having encounters with real aliens. Um, I'm just not sure how the two, you know, like how the two, are, are actually playing off of one another. I'm sure that there were numerous reports, probably a <clears throat> massive amount of reports by younger people during that time that you would have to take with a grain of salt because of the fact that everyone wanted to see a UFO because they were all over the silver screen. Mm. And, and that's a good point. That's definitely okay. a good point. Now, as far as... um. We've been talking a lot about uh, a lot about your other projects. I know you just got done. You were talking about uh, your latest one, which is uh, Terror from the Skies. Um, what's that all about? I saw the cover art for it, and so I'm really kind of interested because you got a few different creatures kind of floating around on there. What's uh, what's the, the main cl- premise of this one? The, the closest we've come to this is is Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, and Invasion probably has a broader array of of monster stories in it, but this is still you know, covering various phenomena in the state of Illinois rather than one particular monster. Um, so Terror in the Skies is all about the winged cryptid, uh, flying cryptid phenomena in in the state of Illinois, uh, starting with the Piasaw bird, uh, which was uh, sort of a, a legend in, in Alton, Illinois. And Alton sits right on the Mississippi River state, um, there are these enormous bluffs along the river and on the, on one of the bluffs was painted this giant weird looking winged creature. Uh, and supposedly it was put there by the native native Americans, uh, to remember, uh, the day that they killed the, the Piasaw bird, which was this, this monster that lived in the area that they used to have to sacrifice people to, uh, in order to stay alive, and eventually they had it and went out and uh, killed it. Or at least that's the legend as it's been retold over the years. So that's the film starts with that partic- particular story, and then it goes into the Alton 1948 Thunderbird wave, uh, and we also explore the Lawndale uh, incident, which was uh, in 1972 or 73. I think it's 73. Either way. Um in, in in that particular year, there was there was a rash of of sightings of these two monstrous sized birds around the town of Lawndale, Illinois. Uh, probably the most famous is the Marlin Low encounter, where this this little boy and a couple of his friends were playing outside of their house, and uh, these two birds came flying down this creek, uh, went over uh, some trees that were nearby, and and one of them actually proceeded to swoop down and pick him up. Uh, Marlon Lowe and carry him about uh, 50 feet before dropping him and uh, the the mom uh, some of the other uh, some family friends and the two boys actually all saw this happen 
Um, so that was 1972 or 73. And then we kind of uh, investigate the Chicago Mothman flap of sightings as well that, that have been going on since 2017 in Chicago. Um, and it's all, you know, through the lens of like cryptids that are. Uh, and we also the the story is told in a really cool way where we're we're exploring the geography of the state as well because it's almost I don't know how familiar you guys are with Illinois but it's almost like three states in one like you've got the, mm-hmm. the very sort of like hilly uh, swampland of southern Illinois uh, which they actually call Little Egypt uh, and it sits obviously on the on the Mississippi River and then you've you've got the very like flat pasture land of of central Illinois and then in northern Illinois it's very um, wooded and rural in some spots and that you've also got three of the largest cities in the entire state right there so we kind of go through those three areas and the movie split into those three chapters <clears throat> like really cool eyewitness encounters um, one of which was uh, a guy who was driving late at night and encountered a monstrous bird on a road, um, actually not far from Lawndale, although this was more in the 90s. And another uh, who was a hunter who encountered a uh, monstrous sized sort of prehistoric looking bird with a hooked beak or not a hooked beak, but a, a, a very long like bill that almost came off the back of its head hmm. uh, so that's you know that's Whew. the the movie's really going to go through all all of this really you know strange activity and the uh sort of the history of it the the cool thing about this film that i like i'm hoping that that our audience will roll with it is in a lot of ways it's actually sort of a do like the days of Mockman of Point Pleasant or Boggy Creek Monster. It is very much like classic small town monsters rather than, you know, the Gray Road Beast was almost like its own sort of like horror movie. And Flatwoods Monster was very much like a 1940s sci fi film. You know, it had that fun, like cheesiness to it. Yep. And Asian on Chestnut Ridge totally embraced the like 80s VHS yep. aesthetic. This is not that. This is like its own. Uh, its own sort of doc, straight ahead documentary look at the subject, and it it really is like a spiritual sequel to The Mothman on Point Pleasant. It's got a lot in common with that particular film. Uh, and when it's all done, like once once we have uh, this movie out and The Mothman Legacy out, we'll have sort of a Mothman trilogy uh, that we'll be able to bundle together as well. So the three movies should actually, once they're all done, you'll have a very comprehensive look at you know, sort of winged cryptid subject. Um, obviously this is much more focused on like Thunderbirds than, than the Mothman movie is. But uh, I do think the Mothman legacy film is going to go into at least a little bit of like the large owl theory, which is that, you know, Mothman was some sort of big hoot. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you, now we, now we had talked, um, I believe on, at Bray Road, and I had said, "Yeah, you know Amazon, because you're you're anybody that that doesn't know, uh, Small Town Monsters has a lot of their stuff on Amazon Prime for viewing. So you know, get on there after the show. Don't do it right now. You better right. do it after the show, <laughs> and uh, you know, give it a watch. A lot of good stuff, a lot of great cinematography. But uh, I, I had talked to you about how they had kind of put your film, uh, The Mothman and the Bell Witch together, and you said, "Well, we didn't do Bell Witch yet," and you said, "We're going to." 
And so I ask you now, how is that coming along? Do you still plan on doing something about the Bell Witch? Mm. Yeah, yeah. The Bell Witch will be our Halloween movie for next year, uh, for 2020. So so the way the release pattern is falling right now is we do one spring, uh, one spring release and one Halloween release. And then there's usually the miniseries should be coming somewhere in in there um last year the the pattern was that we put out flatwoods monster in in april at the very beginning of april and then on the trail of champ came out in june i believe and then bray road was like our our halloween release this year it's um on the trail of champ or on the trail of bigfoot was actually our first release so that was march and then terror in the skies comes out june 6th and then uh MoMA, the Missouri monster will be our Halloween time, you know, sort of release. So yeah, Bell Witch um, will actually be into, if all goes to plan, we'll be filming Bell Witch before the end of this year. Um, We actually plan on filming both Mothman Legacy and uh, Bell Witch this fall uh, because we have some big plans for for 2021 that we have to get into play way, way in advance. but yeah, the the Bell Witch is coming. Uh, it's going to be a very comprehensive look at that subject, and um, really things about it that are going to actually have some similarities to Terror in the Skies. Um, Terror in the Skies is not as much about uh, eyewitness encounters as it is about the history of the subject. Um, so we do have you know two original witnesses. Um, but but a lot of the f- the the film is historians and people that are involved in the subject talking about the subject. Um, so Bell Witch will be a return to that sort of like historian, uh, you know, document documentary. But although it's it's going to be a horror movie, like we're definitely going to push the <laughs> sort of horror style with that, which we already put out a teaser poster for it. So if you've mm. seen that, you already are kind of aware we're really going to push the the scary aspects of that story. Um, but hopefully really get at some of the truth behind it too. Um, and it's, it is a departure. It'll be something of a departure for us, I guess, because we haven't necessarily delved into the supernatural. Um, but yeah, we're, we're really excited about that one, especially Jason who does, he's the production manager for small town monsters. He's been sort of obsessed with that story for all going all the way back to when he was in grade school. And, and so, you know, that leads me into, into the next question here, you know, because it is, it's, it's a definite departure because when I think small town monsters, you know, I think a lot of the cryptid aspects of, um, you know the the planet, but now you're getting into a realm that is 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 different. Um, do you plan on continuing that sort of uh, um, haunted idea of going in, in, into these places and and talking about you know the, okay, so suppose there's a there's a ghost here, suppose there's some form of uh, um, entity. Uh, do you plan on furthering that research, or do you think that you know the cryptids is is where you would like to stay? No, I, I, I don't lock us down to one particular <clears throat> category at all. And honestly, like I, I've never thought of small town monsters as solely being cryptids. And it's, it's been funny to me because I know a lot of people just cause like, I guess monsters to most people just automatically means cryptids. But if you right. look at the breadth of what we've 
done. You know, like Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, the Mothman on Point Pleasant, and the Flatwoods Monster are much more in the realm of ufology than they are cryptids. Um, and even though Invasion delves into like Bigfoot to an extent, like it's much more about the bizarre, you know, uh, possible ultra terrestrial sort of hypothesis than it is about, you know, Bigfoot as a flesh and blood animal. Um, so I've always thought like, as of right now, to me, there's actually a, a pretty good selection of our films that really don't have much to do with cryptids. Um, so f- for me going forward, we can do pretty much anything we want. And, and especially like the supernatural stuff. Um, we've talked actually about doing a film that would be about a serial killer. Originally, uh, terror in the skies was going to be a movie about bell Gunness. Uh, the the serial killer from Indiana. Um, we were as far as doing storyboards for some of the recreations for that movie. When I decided to put it on hold, I just did, I, I was a little nervous at that time to wade into the true crime realm when our audience right. is built around the paranormal. Um, but that's not to say we won't do it because I think we should at some point. You know, d- delve into some topics. Uh, like true crime because it, it, it still all plays into the same idea of small town monsters, which is that you have a rural town, mm-hmm. you've got something, you know, either, either horrific or horrifying happening uh, in or near the town that sort of impacts the culture of that town. And that's really all you have to have. Right. So that, right. that really opens the door to what we can, you know, what kind of stories we can tell. So ufology, the supernatural, paranormal cryptids for me it's all fair game uh and i think we've been exploring it you know from for all all these different topics it's interesting because because when i we we put out the uh on the trail of ufos poster someone had commented like oh i'm fine i'm glad you guys are finally going to uh <laughs> do something about ufos i was like Dude, like three of our movies are 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 very ufo centered you know like right. flatwood monster is all about a UFO crash and invasion on Chestnut Ridge begins with the Kecksburg UFO crash. It spends more time yeah. on the, on the Kecksburg case than any of the other cases. Um, so it's all fair game and we are, are more than happy to, to move outside of the, the cryptid realm. Although inevitably we will always return to like Bigfoot and, and scary, hairy monsters in the woods. <laughs> I mean, I mean, even, even Mothman, is is uh could be an alien supposedly that's a that's a theory that was going around that he was an interdimensional being that came to kind of warn the town and so yeah i mean and your 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 movies and your films do a fantastic job of of relaying that to people because you know i was thinking okay they they do a lot of um like momo or bigfoot they do that but then they they go off and they do the Flatwoods Monster or they do uh, – because from the Flatwoods Monster, I know of the author that we had talked about and uh, Ivan Sanderson, um, his interview. I know I, you know, I know that kind of stuff and then talking to people about it in, in the town. But nobody's ever gone to the length to make something on an epic scale. To me, it's epic because that's my favorite one. I, I love your whole beginning of that. Like I felt like I was really sitting there watching one of those old and and like you, I love those old kind of cheesy science fiction movies where the string is, is the UFO, the strings on the UFO. And you're like, come on, I can see the string, but I love that. I, I, I love, you know, the, the, the soundtrack was epic. The whole thing was, was fantastic. And I think it's great 
that you don't box yourself in to saying, okay, we're just going to do Bigfoot or, okay, we'll just do bipedal ape-like creatures. And that's all we're going to do. Um, you know, the fact that you're, you're branching out in, in even thinking about true crime, it's, it's, it, it's widening your brand to a wider audience. And honestly, I would recommend all of your movies, um, to, to anybody I've uh, I can watch them with my son which is fantastic so folks if you if you have children um, and and they're kind of into this sort of thing because my son was even ready he, he was excited to watch the Flatwoods Green Monster because he always hears daddy talking about it and I go you want to watch this documentary uh, about the Flatwoods Green Monster he was like yeah and he literally sat there the whole time and watched it and if anybody has children out there you know, it's really hard for them to sit oh, still yeah. for long increments of time. <laughs> so thank you, first of all, Seth, for doing that for my child. Um, yeah, that's awesome. But it was, it's so cool to that, that you make these kind of documentaries for everybody. You know, it's not just for, you know, people that, that know about it or, you know, it has to have like a, a letter rating because there might be harsh language, whatever. It's something that you've made and every, and everybody can enjoy it. And, and I really respect that because that's something you don't really find a lot in this day and age with, with so much of like the ghost shows and things like that. I think we, we try to hit that sweet spot of like the general audience, like people who have a very sort of passing interest in these subjects and then your hardcore, like people that are into it like us. And, um, but the most important thing to us has always been that general audience. Cause like they, they might not understand why we're into this in the first place. And maybe if we can get them hooked, you know, like they'll, they'll be a fellow weirdo before you know it. And uh, so, yeah. And, and, and uh, yeah, it's, it's all about attracting the the largest possible audience and obviously doing it through a way that, that is truthful and and honest and continues to sort of explain to people, um, you know, why we find these subjects so fascinating. Good deal. Um, what we're going to do now is we're going to take about a minute and a half just to do a, a little station identification break. And then when we come in, we're going to be talking more with Seth Breedlove. Anybody in the chat room, we've got a couple people floating around in there. If you have any questions you'd like us to ask uh, Seth tonight, by all means, pop them in. We're going to try to get to that during the second hour. And uh, we're going to talk about more about the future of small town monsters. So give us about a minute and a half and we will be right back. Hey everybody, it's your good friend Spider from Let's Talk About the Music Radio Network here to tell you about all the quality content that we have for you to listen to every week. On Wednesday night at 11 p.m. Eastern Time, 8 Pacific, it's the Let's Talk About the Music Radio Show. It's our flagship show. It sets the cornerstone of the whole network. We talk to a wide range of industry professionals in the entertainment business, and we get their opinions on all kinds of things, controversial or otherwise. Tune in. On Thursday nights, it's the brand new This Uncanny Earth, 10 p.m. Eastern Time, 7 p.m. Pacific, where we talk about a wide variety of paranormal experiences, paranormal instances, and anything else that ends with Z. Ha 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 You knew it have to sneak a joke in there somewhere. So tune into that with me and my good buddy Rob every week. Get to the chat room, get to the Facebook group, This Uncanny Earth Official, and let's hear your opinions. On Friday nights, every week, 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 6.30 p.m. Pacific, 
You have the Dirty Rotten Weekend with me, and I'm going to be playing the best underground indie music for you, uncensored, unfiltered, commercial-free for a couple hours for your listening pleasure. And that's what we got. Tune in every week and listen on demand on a wide variety of streaming services. I look forward to seeing you in the chat room. And that is how you make a delicious chicken catchatory recipe. And we're back oh, with cooking joke. with set breed. Nope, we're not cooking with set breed love on this on this episode. Oh, oh I'm sorry. The universe. That's the alternate universe episode. Rats. Anyways, welcome back. If you are just joining us, we have Seth Breedlove from Small Town Monsters, who is probably right now wondering why I went off on a cooking segment. It is a running joke on the show. And before we get into this interview, uh, Spider, if you wouldn't mind, please let's give a big applause to the Count St. Germain. We can oh, never forget him on the show. Please give him an applause. He's our favorite immortal of all time. <laughs> He's the only immortal that I know. Well, I mean, I don't know him, but... I don't know him either. If, if anybody out there knows Count St. Germain and can get us in touch with him, we would love to have him on our show. We have millions of questions to ask him. <laughs> so, now that all that is aside, we are still sitting here with Seth Breedlove. Hopefully he didn't take off. That one might have spooked him a bit, so hopefully he's still here. Seth, I'm, are you I'm still here. here? Yeah, Oh, no, he's still here. <laughs> I, got a, I got a question, too, since we're... Um, We've been talking a lot about uh, with on the trail of Bigfoot. You went pretty much farther than you've ever gone as far as travel and things like that, because you went across the country, basically mm. to for this movie. Um, are there any international plans in the works? Do you guys plan on ever taking it, small town monsters, into the the overseas wider world? It's probably the question we get asked the most is is that question. But uh, I mean, as of right now, no, just because. Uh, Financially, it's it probably. I mean, unless it was on the trail of, and mm-hmm. you know, which is usually just a one man crew, and then whoever else is with me. Like, uh, I just don't think it's the 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 travel cost alone to take my crew to like Europe or something would would bankrupt me because <laughs> the 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 budgets. You know, like if you look at something like Mothman, Mothman costs about ten thousand dollars like eight to twelve thousand dollars maybe tops and you know like the the budgets on the movies are so low like if you if you compare them to other you know docs that that explore similar topics that are being made by like network television i mean when when we were having meetings out in hollywood i was the numbers being pitched as far as like what the budget for one episode of our show would be mm. were were more than every single movie we've ever made combined so so uh it's just yeah for now it's not in the cards just because we're not you know good funds unfortunately it almost wouldn't be small town monsters anymore either it would almost be a whole little different experience really um i'm sure i mean i think you could do it I, I just it's it's logistically I don't think it's logistically it wouldn't make any sense for us right now. But we've mm, talked to right. Sam Sheeran, who does our posters, uh, is from the UK, and he's got some stories from the small town he grew up uh, with. This dogman creature that was seen um, that I would love to explore something like that. But again, it's just logistically I don't think it would work out. So anybody out I mean, there in the audience, if you want to uh, pay for a Seth Breedlove vacation to Europe, 
then <laughs> speak up now and we'll get that arranged for you. And don't, hopefully, don't, don't put that out there. Someone online will be like, oh, he's trying to dig no, up he's money. Asking for money. <laughs> yeah. He just, I bet he paid those guys at this uncanny earth to do that for him. Yeah. They're all in league together. <laughs> and, and honestly, Seth, if you guys do expand internationally, I sort of have a soft spot for Japan myself. And I, I'm very uh, well versed in some of the um, ghostly kind of. Um, <clears throat> stories in Japan, so that would be a very awesome thing if you guys ever do venture out that far. But I do get it because I mean, you know, you you probably have your work lined up because I'm sure there's so much to the to the U.S. itself, not even branching into Canada or um, Mexico or South America. That I mean, there's things that people probably don't know of, and you're you're putting this to light now. I am curious since your documentaries have aired. Have there been, um, uh, I guess, reports of people like in mass going to places, you know, like in Wisconsin with the Bray Road Beast and kind of like being like, well, well, let's see, let's see what's here. Do you think that uh, that that kind of thing has has grown because of your movies? Um, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I could take credit for for some, especially something like the Beast of Bray Road, which was, you know, just on a travel channel show. I mean, that's the, that's the interesting thing about what we do is, is some, some of these stories are so well known and so written about, you know, the Mothman has been all over the place. So it's not like right. we drew attention to the Mothman. Um, but you know, in, in the case of something like the Flatwoods monster, which is actually under, uh, underappreciated and sort of not explored anywhere near as much. Um, maybe we, we are, we're at least doing something, you know, for those, I mean, the other thing about STM is we are growing year by year. I mean, um, you know, there's, there's the, the viewing numbers on Amazon are getting to the point where they're starting to compete with networks. Um, so if we continue doing this and the, the name continues to grow, maybe at some point I'll be able to say, yeah, people went here and did this because of our film as of right now, I've never, I don't think I've ever been told, someone went to a location to look into a case because of our, our movies. That's not to say it hasn't happened. I just haven't been told about it yet. Well, we and Spider headed out to Wisconsin this weekend. No, I, I, we actually talked about it because your movie was the first thing I, first I've ever heard of it. You know, I'd never heard of, um, um, this werewolf like creature. And then I, and then we were there watching it and I was like, ah, I filed into the back of my mind, like, one day I have to go there. Mm-hmm. I have to see what this is about, drive the same road. Uh, because we, we plan on going to the Mothman Festival, if if everything looks good here um, this year, and uh, exploring that. But I definitely would like to get out to Bray Road, because I think that with everything that you do and everything that um, that I've researched and studied and the show and all that, I do think that this kind of thing is something that sits on the back of everybody's mind. Even if you don't profess it, even if you think it's just not a real thing, but there's always that kind of strangeness. And I think you do a great job of tapping into that. Um, So with that question, I ask you, which one is your favorite? Out of all the small town monsters you've done, which one do you think is, is your personal favorite? 
Um, of the of the films we made, my favorite is probably Invasion on Chestnut Ridge. Although I'm a I'm a big fan of the Mothman film too, so it's it's one of those two. Um, it, it, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely one of those two. Invasion on Chestnut Ridge, I always come back to because of the obstacles we were up against when we were making it. It was made on a on a very low budget, but also it was filmed over two and a half days, um, and and it it took us into some areas we'd never really gone before. Um, and really, like, I felt like that was the movie where I started feeling comfortable with doing things just just for fun. Like just because I wanted to try something, so like that was the movie where all of a sudden, instead of just doing doc, we started stylistically trying to sort of pull in, you know, the the eighties sort of VHS era inspiration um, into the style of the film and, and things like that. So yeah, I always go back to that one, and that's one I've, I've been told by a lot of people that's a favorite of theirs. It's probably one of our least successful, but it's it's probably my my favorite. Where do you see in in the long term of small town monsters? Where at the end of the day would you like to end up with this company? What what would your I, I don't want to say end game because it's not something I, I could ever see you doing anything but because of how much you love it and that's apparent in what you do in the care you give each movie and, and each um, uh, documentary series like Champ and, and Bigfoot. But what would you like to see Small Town Monsters do at the end of the day? Um, you mean like going forward, or just like the the ultimate goal of the group? The ultimate goal, more or less. I mean, like for for as far as like our audience, like I I think we make <clears throat> movies. Hopefully, like hopefully the goal is really that that people just enjoy watching what we do and and they're entertained by it and they they maybe come to some sort of greater understanding of why these subjects are so fascinating um as like a production company and a group i mean like they you know the ultimate goal is just to continue doing what we're doing but but to be able to do it on a larger scale and uh and and be able to get to the point where this is the full-time job of everyone that is working on small time monsters movies because like you know, it's it's cool that I can focus on it, but uh, there's a lot of there's there's so much we can do with this beyond just making two movies in a miniseries every year. And you're going to start to see some of that come into play later this year. We're going to start introducing live content into the websites and uh, like a members only area and some other stuff that I think will will sort of expand what we're already doing beyond just two movies in a miniseries. But there's there's a lot more we can do. And uh, we're aware of that, and I think we're going to continue trying to grow that. the The ultimate goal is just that we're doing and hopefully loving our job. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's something I think everybody should strive for when they're working on something like this, because I think you know when you start giving yourself to the public or putting yourself out there and saying, "Hey, you know, I'm Seth Breedlove, and this is what I do." I think if you don't love something of this nature, it's going to affect your work. And then that shows. And, and, and like I said, I, I don't see you, I don't see that in anything you've done. Um, everything you've done so far, I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed, even if the subject like Bigfoot, you know, ever since a kid, Bigfoot's been drilled and in, drilled into me to death. I've heard it ever because, you know, we all had that, um, 
there was that rise of Bigfoot in the eighties. Um, when, at least when I grew up there, everybody had claimed that they'd seen it or this, that, and the third. And your documentary on the trail of Bigfoot kind of put me in a different, it, it, it set me in a different space in that it wasn't like your average Bigfoot documentary, you know, where you had say somebody like Robert Stack saying this, this is what happened. This is what happened. And then they cut to somebody like a reporter or, or what have you out there in the field talking to these people, but you don't get a sense of, there's no personality to it. It's just like a cut and dry Q and a kind of a thing. And then it ends. But with what you do, it's kind of like, I'm there when you, when you're all sleeping in the tent, I'm there and you can kind of feel that you kind of feel that vibe and you've kind of revitalized the, the, the notion of Bigfoot, at least in my opinion, I don't know what everybody else thinks, but, um, and you seem to do that with every, um, every movie you do. And, uh, with that, you know, I have to ask, you know, you're out there, you're, you're doing this. How exhausting is all this for you and your crew? And I, a big shout out to your crew, um, for what they do because they rock as well. I can't, can't leave them out, but how exhausting is all this for you to, to be out there and, and doing this? And I'm sure you, you probably spend a lot of sleepless nights doing a lot of editing. I mean, first of all, thanks for, for saying that about the minis. I mean, on the trail of is like the most personal thing I've done. And it, you know, it was, uh, I mean, if, yeah, the total budget on that was like $5,000 and that included like some of our marketing budget. So, I mean, and, and that's a, that's a mini series three hours long that was filmed across 14 different States coast to coast. So, so that was a bear to tackle. I mean, exhausting it, every, you know, like, it depends like right now um as far as like the actual shoots i would say it is a drain uh but it's like a it's a good drain as weird as that might seem like we we uh you know like we've tried to get better about the way we sort of schedule that out and the way each shoot is um obviously is very different and we're gearing up for what is going to be like by far our our longest um, shoot so far with the Momo uh, shoot that actually kicks off on May 1st and it won't really wrap until uh, like May 18th I think it is or May 19th it's a very long shoot because we're doing Momo's being told as a narrative film and a documentary so it's it's kind of filling two roles and um, so yeah it you know like when we made uh, the Mothman in Point Pleasant, it was actually fairly easy because we would drive down to Point Pleasant in the morning and we'd come back at night and you didn't have to worry about staying overnight because it was only two and a half hours away. Um, you know, but the, the editing on that one uh, was super draining because I was still working a full-time job. Um, so, so yeah, it there's none of the bad exhaustion anymore right. for me, at least not like there was when I was still working a normal job. Um, print beast, because you were, you know, you'd go to your, your day job and then you'd come home at night and I would, I would literally be up until one or two in the morning and edit and then get up and go back to work in the morning and do it again the next night. And while I was at my job, I was, you know, actually doing a lot of work relating to <laughs> relating to STM. <laughs> so, so, uh, so that was a very, like that, that, 
like two years, 2000, it would have been 2014, uh, mid 2014 to, um, to 2017 is when I, when I actually went in and like tendered my resignation at my normal day job. Um, there was, you know, that was, that was draining. Now it's just like, it's fun. Like you're exhausted the entire time. I mean, we, we put those behind the scenes documentaries on all the, the DVDs and you can kind of watch the process of, of making the movies. And that's why we put them on there is so like, you know, people understand like this is, we shot this in like four or five days tops. Like we didn't, you know, like, and, and you can see from watching it, the, the amount of work, uh, and care and like a love that goes into actually doing what we do too. Cause I think a lot of people might have the idea that we kind of run out with some cameras and we just throw this together and you know, it's a blast and we're just taking our Kickstarter money and making it rain on ourselves or whatever. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but like we're, we're really out there for like, you know, the, the shoots go uh, an average shoot day or on location in another state runs anywhere from like 12 to 15 hours. And, and that's just how it is. Like we get, we get up first thing in the morning and we shoot until we go to bed at night and then we get up the next day and we do it again. And and we try to schedule them out. So it's a little easier on us, you know, so we can, you know, maybe we have like a final day where there's only like eight hours of shooting. And then the evening we go eat dinner and, you know, celebrate the fact that we finished or something like that. But, but those shoots, there is not a lot of time for like fun and relaxation. We, you know, I get like vicious migraines and, and I get those every single shoot. So inevitably I will collapse in a hotel bed somewhere during the middle of what should be a very important shoot uh, because I can't function. But like I, I don't have any complaints about that stuff when it's over, like no matter how miserable in the moment we might be every single time it's over, I miss it like crazy. And I, and, and, and you miss it um, in a really profound sort of way. Like we still talk about shooting boggy Creek monster back in 2016. Um, and, and you could not have a more miserable shoot as far as like hot, you know, sticky weather. You're just out trying to get shots done. You're you're terrified you're going to be eaten by an alligator or attacked by <laughs> fire ants at any moment. Uh, one of my guys stepped over a copperhead snake at our first stop. I mean, like, oh, like man. there's there's any number of things like that about that shoot that at the time seemed horrible, and now we we constantly talk about how we wish we could go back to to falcon and make another movie because like it, it really you really miss that part of it like the really in, intensive uh principle of photography stuff you really miss that when it's all over and it sounds like you you know it it, it seems like when you when you're out there yeah it can be rough because like like uh like spider and i i'll spend days just reading different things because, you know, we'll have a topic and we'll do like say Mothman. So I'll spend a couple of days reading, and I might be up until three, four in the morning just reading different reports because there could always be conflicting reports. And in our in the internet age that we live in, you can't really just sit back and say, "Oh, this is this is right, this is exactly right," because you know, there's um we we did an interview last week with uh, Kevin and Jennifer Malik, and uh, it was about Summerwind. And there was a couple things I didn't know about, 
and they had filled me in and it's just it, it's it's daunting when you have to do all the research but it's a good daunting you're like oh, i gotta read through this book but you're like ah yes i get to read through this book like it, you know it, I, I might lose sleep there's nights i probably sleep three hours two hours and then wake up and before my son's up i'm like okay this is what i gotta plan for the show i gotta start writing things out gotta start getting things done so I, I can I can empathize with what you're going through, not on the same level, obviously, because, I mean, you're out there and actually doing it. You're doing the shots. You're 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 there. But, you know, I'm, I'm red eyed at, at just at three in the morning. I'm like, no, nah, I got to finish it. And I think that really speaks to how bad a person wants something like this. And I think in, in this day and age with the with the skeptics and everything we you know that that our field has to go through. Because not everybody's accepting of all this. I'm sure there's a lot of people that that are that have been deterrent, maybe in, in what in what you do, but I've met my fair share in what I do, and I just keep pushing. You know, I'm, it's it's not something that I can be um, taken out of because, it, like you know, like you, this is something I I'm, I love doing. I don't mind not getting the sleep that, that I should probably get because I mean, what adult really gets a full eight hours of sleep anymore, you know, in in this day and age. Um, But, but from what you do to this question, what advice would you give to people that are actually looking to get into the sort of cryptid research or the sort of uh, uh, UFO based research that you guys do where you're out there doing that? Like in terms of, you know, talking to people, kind of getting your foot in the door. What would, what advice would you give to people that are actually trying to do this? Um, I mean, when it comes to talking to witnesses and getting like witnesses and researchers to open up, I always, I always say, just talk to them like people, like uh, the biggest mistake I see is that, that a lot of people sort of attack witnesses in a, in a weird way. And they might be doing it with kindness, but well, you know, like for the most part, these are just people like they, they really don't want to uh, relive these experiences. Um, some of them do want to get it off their chest, but, but most of them just, you know, like they don't even want to talk about it again. So like you, you have to talk to them like they're a person. So they understand like you're not out to, you know, make a mockery of them or whatever. I can, right. I always go back to like when I met, um, I sat on his porch in Flatwoods for two and a half hours in the, in the baking hot sun and never talked about what happened to him. Uh, the Flatwoods monster never even really addressed that. We were talking about his, his house and, you know, like the civil war and all this stuff that he was kind of interested in in the town and things like that. And it was just like your classic, like West Virginia sort of sitting on a front porch conversation. <laughs> and, uh, and until the very end of the conversation that I even broached the subject of having him involved in our documentary. And then it took another three months after that to convince him to be involved. Mm-hmm. So th- there's a lot of patience that goes into dealing with witnesses and making these movies that probably doesn't come across in any of the behind the scenes stuff. And that's just actually making, you know, building some sort of relationship with people. Um, a lot of patience that goes into it. Um, I don't consider myself an investigator. I consider myself a, a, you know, maybe a bit of a researcher, but most of all, I'm like a filmmaker and uh, the subjects fascinate me. And I spend a lot of time reading about them and looking into them. And obviously I do my own podcast about this stuff. So I love it. But um, 
really go out and like look for Bigfoot or look for UFOs or look for ghosts. Like I, I don't do a lot of that stuff. Um, but you know, thankfully I, the, the films offer me that opportunity to get to do that. Um, so I don't have a ton of advice on like how to approach the, the investigation side of it. Um, right. But you know, when it comes down to it, just talk to witnesses uh, like they're people because that's, that's how they want to be treated rather than, you know, an opportunity for you to, to somehow sort of capitalize on their experience. Now that being and said, um, oh. since you, since this is kind of an, uh, an interesting divergence here, um, when you've been out doing doing these uh, these interviews and things, when you kind of roll into town, have you ever run into situations on on any of the movies where just people have been actively hostile? Like, why are you asking me about this? Get out of our town, etc. Just like people who are like about the whole thing. No, like the sh- <laughs> the short answer is no. Um, Elkhorn. Uh, it does not embrace the the Bigfoot or the the Beast of Bray Road story, um, but we never we knew that when we went there, so we never really made it known that that's why we were there, at least not publicly. Like we did all our shooting at night, so people didn't really see us milling about town with cameras. Mm-hmm. We grabbed the shots we needed at night, and then we um, we never really made a big deal out of the fact that we were there. Um, and I think that is a case where if we had, we might not have been welcomed in the area. Um, but as far as like any other place that I can think of, I mean, we run into like logistical problems. Like when we were filming evasion on chestnut Ridge, you couldn't everything around the chestnut Ridge is like privately owned. Hmm. So you couldn't find a spot. Normally when we're filming, we'll just drive somewhere, stop, pull off the road and shoot, you know? And, and that's how we get a lot of our B roll. And in the Chestnut Ridge, uh, we just could not find locations like that. You, like you couldn't just pull off the road and shoot because everything was marked private property. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, no one ever was like, "Get out of here! We don't, we don't welcome Bigfoot people." Mm-hmm. It was never, it was never anything. Like Nobody that. chasing you off the property with a shotgun. <laughs> no, no. I mean, we've, we've. Uh, it, it's almost like the opposite. Like we've been welcomed onto property where people hadn't been welcomed onto in in decades. We we shot on Smoky Crabtree's property, uh, where they filmed some of Legend of Boggy Creek, and we were the first film crew there since since uh, Charles Pearson and the Legend of Boggy Creek crew were there back in seventy one. So we've and and the family, the Crabtree family, took us out on, on the creek and these these boats and stuff. So so we've we've run into the opposite, but we have yet to be chased off some property. Having said that, I'm probably jinxing us. So let's just assume <laughs> that when I go to shoot Romo now, someone's going to try to kill me. And then he can blame us. He can be like, "Those boys <laughs> on the side." <laughs> nice work. You always mess up the interview. Now. Um, because, well, I noticed that, uh, in, in the, in the Flatwoods monster movie, um, you know, Fred, Fred was quoted saying, you know, I wish this was never, never happened. And you could tell like the drain on his face. Like he, he just, he was, he was kind of tired of talking about it. If you, you know what I mean? He just was like, cause I'm sure the poor guy, he probably, if people see him and they, and they know his face. I'm sure he gets just hit with the questions. Hey, uh, so did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see it? Hey, did that monster thing, did you see it? And and I get it. You know, I, I you know you can see the look on their face, and you're just like, man, I, I bet 
you know, you're, you're tired of talking about it, you know? And, and I think, um, you know, especially in that movie more than others. And, you know, that, and maybe that's because I have like a more of a special kind of kinship to the area than, than a lot of folks do, you know, it, it, it's good that you guys got in there, but you didn't, you know, bash your way in. And I see that a lot with a lot of, you know, different shows and things. And then they'll go in and they'll be like, well, we're going to go ahead and do it anyways. Well, they don't want you to do that. Like you, you, you were bullish to begin with. And now you're basically just trying to kick the door open and that's not going to give you any more leeway with these people. And now they're going to just hate you and you're ruining it for the next people that might say, you know what, we're not here to really do, we're just here to study it. We're here to see, you know, the area and stuff like that. Because I know, I believe the farm um, or that area where the, the green monster was sighted is off limits. Yeah, that that doesn't have that particular case doesn't have anything to do with anything other than the guy the guy that owns that property is a jerk. Like, like <laughs> there's, there's really no. Sometimes it's just it. that simple. It is just that simple. He's right. It really it comes visible. down to it. the guy. Just he, uh, you know, he doesn't have an appreciation for the history of the property, and he he doesn't want people on it. Having said that, it's easy to get up there. Super easy. I mean, I, mean, I would know that. You know, I'm a I'm a pretty normal human being that doesn't do things that are that, that are trespassing. But I mean, I, I might know a guy that has been there, a good friend of mine. <laughs> but yes, that's right. It is super easy to get up there. You know, it's and and once you get up there, it's really cool to be there because you're like, this is where it happened. This is is it. If if I had been up there, I mean, I, I don't, I I wasn't. Yeah, no, it's 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 fairly it's fairly simple, and we've yeah we that is like that part of things is, is a reality. I mean, you can't get to the original crash site of the Kecksburg craft either. Really, um, it's on private property, and the owner doesn't love people going back there. I think Stan can probably get you back there if you really needed to, but but we never we never even attempted um, when we were filming. We just shot it from the road. Um, so some of those locations are, are a bit more difficult to reach, but yeah, we, we have yet to be chased off of property with guns. Now you have a lot of exciting projects in the future coming up. Um, are you planning to do, um, tear in the skies locally too, like you did with all of your other movies? Do you plan on, on uh, showing that at the Canton palace theater, um, and ha- have you actually looked at any other venues? Because I know um, the Ak- the Akron Civic Theater that's a nice size venue that could that you could that you could show your movies at, and it's it's a nice place. I've been there, you know, as, as a person who lives in Summit County. You know, that was the place I went to many a lot of concerts and things like that. So I'm wondering if you plan on expanding out and showing your movies at different areas or different places in the area. Not like the the we when we put out. Minerva Monster, we did sort of the typical indie film thing. We rented out theaters all over the area and we did screenings and we were killing ourselves trying to promote those screenings to get enough people out. And you were still only ending up with, you know, anywhere from like 50 to 75 people. So, so that, that approach to our releases just doesn't interest me anymore. It did early on and now it just doesn't, um, so we're much more focused on like streaming and, 
and you know DVD sales through the website. But um, we'll definitely be doing some sort of doubleheader with Terror in the Skies and Momo at the Palace Theater. Um, that's like the only theater that I really try to show movies at anymore. And that's just because like we have a, a growing sort of audience in in Stark County and Summit County. So they they like to go down there and meet us there, and we show you know whatever we've got in the works. But we, we are we're still trying to lock down like the dates for that, but it's going to be sometime probably in uh, either early October or November. I'm just waiting to to get the dates locked down. And we actually ventured out, uh, Spider and I, to to the uh, the Bray Road showing, and it was like it it was snowing pretty bad that day, and it was, was it horrible. was serious. it was so bad that all of a sudden we the, hit masks. The, the and it weather, was good to go. It was a it was a lousy lousy weather night, but the the crowd was still decent. Like for as bad as the weather was, I was honestly surprised there was anyone there. We I wasn't gonna miss it. I would have put on those tennis those those tennis uh, racket shoes, taken my pole, and I'd have walked down uh, twenty one. I'd have been there, but it, luckily the the weather kind of uh, abated a little bit later on and. And it was a good showing. Um, yeah. So, and, and you guys, you guys do very well with the audience. Even even Bray Road had had a nice amount of people. You guys offer a great Q and A afterwards. So, anyone that's looking to to see these folks at the camp at the Canton Palace Theater, they do a, a nice Q and A session. Uh, Seth walks around. You can approach him and talk to him, and 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 he's he's a good dude. You know, he's he's not. Uh, you know, he he doesn't. You know, try to hide behind a barricade or, or hide in, in a dressing room. He's out there. He's mangling. It's a good thing. Now, Seth, you're going to be at uh, Kent Paranormal Weekend, I believe, this weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah, I actually um, Saturday we are showing on the trail of Bigfoot at 4:30. Um, I am probably just going to crack open a DVD and show like three select episodes, so it won't be. It won't be quite what we did at the uh, at the other at the other screening, but um, yeah, we're we'll we'll be at Camp Paranormal Weekend on Saturday, and our screening starts at I think four o'clock. Um, do you plan on showing any episodes different from the ones you showed at the Palace Theater? So, yeah, I I honestly think what I might do is just show the first DVD, the the Legend, which would be episodes one through three. Um, yeah the 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 screening i showed at the palace is is honestly you'll probably never see it again um put it together specifically for that one screening um and it you know it kind of was very northeast ohio centered so it had you know the first and and third and uh fifth and sixth episodes Mm -hmm. uh kind of all cut together um, and, and it even has some like footage that isn't in the, the final, uh, DVD project either, or the, the actual like mini series. Like there's, there's some shots of me actually in area X, uh, flying my drone in that, in that palace. Um, and that's not, none of that footage is in the final mini series. So yeah, I'll probably just show a few random episodes, uh, or not a few random episodes, but the first three episodes and then just let let that be it excellent so if anybody's planning on heading to kent paranormal weekend it's too bad anybody that's listening missed the kent palace show mm-hmm. because it was fantastic 
Spider and I were there. Uh, it was it was a really it was a really in depth look at mm. um, at people who were actually like this is what they were doing. This wasn't just something where you know uh, you know Seth did show kind of the the um, the weekend warrior aspect of the 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 Bigfoot hunters and and how they and how they had to had to go about doing it but he also showed like these these diehard folks and i believe the one guy uh, he said he was in the marines or it was it was something on the lines of like he was a serious he had the camouflage paint mm. he was hidden behind the the leaf rack he he was all dressed in camo you couldn't see him and he actually uh witnessed a, a Bigfoot sighting, and, and now did he take a shot, Seth? I, I I don't recall if he did or not. Not not while we were there. Um, he had taken a shot before um, during an incident they call the Echo incident. Um, but no, when we were in there, he he was seeing something. Um, he believes it was a Bigfoot, and uh, it was about 75 meters away, which I have no idea what that translates to. Um, but he, he was saying it was 75 meters away, but it was up a hill, and it was through some underbrush. And we went to the spot like the next day and, and actually tried to recreate his sighting, and there was there was really no way to get a clear view up to where he was looking other than his scope and he would mm. definitely not have had like a clear shot at this thing so uh but yeah there that's the north american wood ape conservancy and uh the guy you're talking about is daryl collier he's a uh, former military intelligence he worked in worked in military intelligence for 20 years and before that he was in the in the uh i don't want to get it wrong i want to say it was like the air force but i might be wrong about that i think i am wrong about that so ignore that <laughs> but military intelligence that's what he was doing um so you know you you've been doing this for a while and you've been out in the field is there any sort of um or any of the cases you've done or any sort of the the um the, the places you've been where you're like yeah this is this is this is legit and, and that's not to sit here and take away from from the folks who who are in these communities and have seen these things, I'm not trying to trying to um, disrespect their views or what they believe. Um, but as for you, is there any place in particular where you're like, yeah, this could be a definite possibility. This could really be something serious. Um, I mean, you, you mean specific like. Uh, areas where 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 I believe that there was activity or there yes. could still be activity. Yes. Um, I mean, all of them have that sort of you know element to them. I mean the 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 Watchita Mountains and and Area X, which is not a small town at all. But um, I mean that's that's the place where I went into and and experienced stuff for myself and left feeling like there was there was definitely. Uh, things taking place there that were out of the ordinary um, as far as like, I mean, for the most part the you know, the, the towns that we go to and the places where we go and investigate these stories, um, the, the events that we're telling happened decades ago, you know? So in the case of like Kecksburg, it was, it was the 1950s and in the case of, or 1960s. And in the case of, you know, the Flatwoods monster, it was 1952. So in a lot of, a lot of the, the cases you're you're really just kind of 
writing off the fact that there's even anything still going on there. Um, Falk, Arkansas, and then some of the places we went during the filming of on the trail of Bigfoot, like the every, almost every film we made is something where, you know, it's a historic case. It's a case that is in the past. Um, so there might not be that same sort of, um, I guess, you know, not concern, but excitement about a general area. Whitehall stands out as being a place where I was really excited um, just to, just to see the scope uh, of, of the Adirondacks and, and the area where, where Whitehall sits. I mean, like I was convinced that, you know, like there was run out in front of your car at any minute, you know, when, when you were in Whitehall, it was, it was a really interesting location. Now, as far as uh, and as that was a good one too, goes, because oh. um, as far as the future goes, um, what is uh, what is one of the next? Uh, I don't want to say investigation necessarily, because you said you don't really think of yourself necessarily as an investigator. But I'll, I'll just use it for the sake of argument. Um, what's the next? What's the most near and dear investigation that you have on your plate that you're most interested in in the future? It might not be your next film. It might not be the next two films. But what's something that in the near future is something that you're super, super excited about? Well, yeah, I mean, I could answer that two ways. Because as far as, like, the next thing that I'm really excited to dive into, we're in three weeks we're going to start shooting Momo. And and that is really going to be the next step in, in... in sort of what we do. And I don't, I'm not saying that in the, in a way that's saying that the way Momo is being made is how we're going to be making movies after that. But it is, it is a dramatic shift from how we've told stories prior to, to Momo. Um, it's 70% narrative film and 30% documentary. Um, so, so it's actually got a script, it's got actors, it's being told in a narrative style. And then we'll be, what's interesting is the way we're telling the story is you're going to see this narrative horror movie, and then it's going to be what you've just witnessed will be contradicted by the doc, the documentary. So we are, we are, uh, we're, we're really excited about that. And I'm really excited about that. And we've got like some really great people lined up to be involved in that project. Um, Elizabeth Saints involved and, and uh, Janet uh, Jay and, and Adam Dugan and like some really, really great people are going to be acting in it. So I'm really excited about that too. But um, yeah, investigative wise, I'm really excited to tackle on the trail of UFOs because uh, I'll be doing that with Shannon Legro. Uh, who's a good friend of mine and we're just going to kind of make that over the course of this year Uh, probably starting sometime in june we're going to start traveling Um, and i know we're you know we've got a list of locations that we have to hit and it's pretty insane it's it involves arizona and and area 51 and nevada and utah and some really really out there locations uh and destinations i've never been to so and and you know obviously uh, we're, we've sort of set the, set the bar pretty high with on the trail of Bigfoot as far as the audience mm. reaction. Anyway, I'm not saying we set it high in my own quality of filmmaking. I'm just talking about how the response has been. Um, to be aware of that when we go into on the trail of UFOs and continue to up the, up, up our game, you know, from, 
from one project to the next. So yeah, I'm really excited about On the Trail of UFOs because of how extensive it's going to be and then how I'm going to get to revisit some spots I've been to, but it it's also going to be mostly new places and uh really delving into a topic that that you know, like we talked about we've we've touched UFOs uh ufology in our in our films book, but to have this opportunity to really like dive into the the sort of history and investigative side of it uh, should be should be really exciting and and the 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 list of people we plan on interviewing is pretty great. Cool. Now, cool. doing all this and getting to where you are now, have you had any sort of you know uh, other folks in the communities? Uh, more prolific names approach you and say, Hey, you know, I like what you're doing or, you know, this is really cool. You know, I, you know, I, I watched this and I saw this and, and, you know, is, is that something you, you encounter where you have famous people actually hitting you up saying, Hey, you know, I really enjoyed this. Um, we, the, the paranormal world, not really. Um, I mean, I guess, we we've been approached by some like paranormal celebrities and stuff who who are into our stuff and actually Nick Groff, um, who was one of the co-creators of Ghost Adventures, he he was an executive producer on on our next three projects, um, along with Elizabeth Saint, who was on Ghosts of Shepherdstown. So so um, we've run into that. I mean, last year or actually it was 2017, we were contacted by Adam Wingard, uh, who directed the the Blair Witch sequel and is currently finishing up uh production on kong versus godzilla um so he's probably the the biggest name you know that was like into our stuff um, right and but you know like we've we've definitely we've definitely had interaction with some some more well-known sort of hollywood directors and producers who are who are interested in in what we're doing um and some of those people I can't really say, but, but uh, <laughs> no, that's fine. I, I didn't expect you to drop sure. any names. Yeah. Yeah. Adam, Adam's probably the most well-known as far as like someone who was, who's actively, uh, all him involved in STM right now, but he's definitely, uh, interested in, and we, we've been in talks, with, uh, about doing something for about a year now. Now, that being said, who are some of your influences? Who are the, some of the people you said, okay, you know, I watched them do this, so I'm going to kind of understand how they did it and then kind of refine it or kind of incorporate it into what we're doing here at Small Town Monsters? Uh, yeah, like I don't – when it comes to the inspiration thing, like I, I don't know that I've – um, other than in the case of Terry in the Skies, I've never really talked to Zach and been like, hey, let's try to make this look like this or that. You know, like right. it, it's it's much more in the moment. Uh, you're, you're probably subconsciously drawing on those inspirations um, because I grew up obsessed with movies and I watched, you know, film from a, a very young age and all kinds of stuff that I think a lot of kids my age didn't didn't watch or were even aware of you know i was watching a lot of like hammer horror movies and uh ray harryhausen and the marx brothers and <laughs> stuff like that and uh and so like there's there's probably some of that creeping into our our films uh flatwoods very blatantly <clears throat> draws off of like my love for earth versus the flying saucers and um 
you know, the day the earth stood still and that kind of thing. And Ray Harryhausen, obviously. Um, and the terror in the skies, I went into it talking to Zach about like, Hey, let's really try to get this sort of like Steven Spielberg look to it. Um, and, and the thing that kept that, of was sort of the the color palette and the epic sort of wide scale of uh, of something like uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, but I've been watching it more recently, obviously because I'm editing it, editing it every day, and I realized like it doesn't it doesn't really has a bit of a Spielberg vibe with the there's there's a couple bookend scenes that kind of have a Spielberg homage going on, but. Um, like sort of narrow framing and things like that. And uh, I actually think we drew off of uh, North by Northwest, by, by Hitchcock, <laughs> which is funny. I'm not really sure how that happened. But, um, so, so like Hitchcock growing up, I grew up on Hitchcock. I grew up on a lot of like hammer horror movies, Ray Harryhausen, um, a lot of like weird inspiration that I'm sure is seeping in there. Like the Marx brothers, like I said, my favorite movie of all time is Casablanca. Um, and, and the, the, yeah, there's, there's, uh, if we really went down the rabbit trail of like, who's, you know, who my favorite filmmakers are, we'd be here all night. And, uh, <laughs> but I, mean, like, I, I love like, I love like Billy Wilder and, uh, and Stanley Kubrick and, you know, sort of the classics, like more so than than modern directors. I don't know that I'm. I really follow too many modern directors. I follow Christopher Nolan to pretty much anything he does, uh, but there aren't there aren't a lot of people out there today that I really get super excited about following, uh, like I used to. And a lot of that just has to do with the fact that I have a kid and I can't watch movies like I used to. Like True. now, I spend a lot more time on documentaries and. Um, other filmmakers who actually know what they're doing are, are going about doing what they're doing. So in the last year, I think that I really grew uh, to enjoy some of these Netflix docs, like the evil genius documentary and uh, the keepers, the keepers was one I was asked the other day, like what I'd been watching that I got really excited about. And I completely forgot about this, but last year when I flew out to Los Angeles, I, I downloaded all the episodes of, I watched it on the flight there and on the flight back. And that is a fantastic, uh, Netflix, uh, true crime miniseries. Um, really kind of heartbreaking too, but, but a really good documentary. And it got me super excited about filmmaking and, and sort of experimenting and trying new things, uh, with what we're doing. So there's, I, I draw inspiration from things. I, I just, am not sure anymore that it's, it's, uh, it's as, as, you know, as you would think. Now, when it comes to something like Invasion, you know, like, which is very 80s inspired, I there wasn't even a point there where I was like, hey, it's kind of like this movie or that movie or this director or that director. It was more of trying to set that tone of, like, the 1980s than it was, you know, like, the, the, someone asked me where I got the idea for the opening shot, which is the it starts out with like kind of a static image of the, of the chestnut Ridge. And then the Ridge starts turning on its head until it reaches this like 180 degree, you know, it's upside down. Um, I don't know. Like I, I'm sure I probably saw something similar in another doc and just ripped it off or something. But like, <laughs> but it just, 
it felt it felt right the moment when I was putting it together. I mean, a lot of what we do is just finding your way in the dark, mm-hmm. and there's a ton of trial and error that goes into making our movies. I mean, we the the first three movies are are entirely trial and error you know i look back at those first three movies and i'm like holy crap like i can't even sit through any of the first three anymore (laughs) so i don't even try but um but yeah and and i pick everything we do apart everything i do apart so after it's over i watch everything back multiple times obviously during the editing process and then the the actual release but i i think that's a good like i think that's it weirdly as neurotic as i am come away despising the the project we just did it gives me uh, i i do that because i see all the things that we need to do better i need to do better and then i try to focus on wrongs you know those perceived wrongs that other people don't seem to see i i did that a lot with a lot of our first probably 10 episodes of the show like i i, I was for a long time i didn't like the sound of my voice so I'm like, oh, man, I sound terrible. And I just like – I kept listening and listening and listening. And finally I said, you know what? If you're going to be in this, you got to move past that. So now I'm like, okay, I'm good on that. Let me see where I can actually fix a couple things. Because I think when when you do something that we do where we cater to, to public viewing or we cater to public listening, we want to bring the best out of ourselves. No matter what, we want to make sure that we're putting our best out because if we're not, then we're it's going to be even worse when we go back to critique it. And I usually listen to my shows the day after. So tomorrow morning when I get up, I'll make my, 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 my coffee, I'll put the earbuds in, and I'll listen. And I'll say, okay, what could I have done better for the next guest or the next time we do the show? And that's not a slight to you. That's not a slight to Spider. That's more of just something I, I want to improve myself. Every show I want to do better than the last show I did. I don't want to sit here and be stagnant because if you're stagnant, I think that you be, you you get to a point when you're when you're stagnant that you kind of just say, okay, you know what, this is it. I can't go up, I can't go down. I'm here. But for me, I just want to keep going. I mean, I, I don't want to stop. I don't want to stop improving. And um, as for as for inspiration, um, I take a lot of what I do. I grew up listening to a lot of coast to coast AM, which I was a, I, I'm a big fan of. Um, and uh, rest in peace to Art Bell. You know he was he was a he was a, a pioneer of sorts. You know I, you know I grew up listening to, at three o'clock in the morning, four o'clock in the morning because it was a different time time zone um, out here than it was in California or, or you know where, where, Art, where Art Bell was living at the time. And so I would be up at three four in the morning, and he would do these these ghost episodes, or he would do like the one that that was like a frantic call that was like I know about Area Fifty One and all this and all that and. I remember just being like, man, I am, I'm borderline scared right now, but I like it. Like, I like that feeling. I like that adrenaline rush. I'm terrified. Like, and I'm going to hide under these covers for a little bit and hopefully nothing comes out and tries to grab me. Um, but when I started doing this, I looked at all the people that um, were doing some of the same things, not, not a hundred percent what I'm doing, but Art Bell was, a, was a big inspiration for me because he was able to grab people in a way that um, very few people can in this, in, in this kind of thing without being called crazy, because I see a lot of that in, um, in, in, in the things that, that we do with uh, cryptids or with ufology or with paranormal or with the esoteric or what have you. I see a lot of people that are quick to judge like, Oh, you guys are crazy. 
because we all we've all seen the Zach Baggins and we've all seen that kind of atmosphere of like, oh, it's all crazy. You know, it's those people that do that. They're crazy. But a lot of times, with especially with like, you know, a lot of ghost, a lot of ghost hunters, they just they sit in the house or they sit in the location. And they just record. You know, not every time are you going to get these crazy off the wall experiences. And I think um, Small Town Monsters does this well in that you guys aren't out to sit there and say, hey, you know what? Uh, we're the craziest thing going right now. You know, I just, I ran away from Bigfoot just yesterday. It was great. I, I did a, you know, I ran away from him. I think what you guys do is you put it out there saying this is a possibility. And you you, you talk to people and you don't talk down to them and you don't make it seem like people are crazy for, for having these experiences. And, you know, I, I definitely list the Small Town Monsters as an inspiration because it's a way to to kind of understand people better. And I think with what we do, that is that is paramount. You know, it's easy to be the skeptical guy that's kind of a jerk and you're like, I'm not going to talk to him because all he's going to do is just run down everything I say. Um, and it's also, you know, easy to, to kind of shy away from the folks that are too, too much. You know, they're like, the men in black are coming. I blacked up all my curtains. I duct taped all my windows. You know, I'm, I'm just going to hide here in the corner, but they're coming, man. They're coming. And I think what Small Town Monsters does is it, it kind of introduces you to the topic more so than it beats you over the head with it. And so I, I find that doing it that way, you know, in that regard and, and saying, you know what, here's here's like a, a plausible theory of what this could be or what that could be. I think that in that we both share kind of that common um, trait if you will. And, and I, and I, like I said, I do appreciate what you do. Like what you do is, is something nobody else has ever done ever in the history of, of this cryptid kind of ufology kind of aspect. It's a lot of the time we see it's either the, 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 the crazy end or the skeptic end. There's not a lot of room in the middle. And no, no, I agree. It's, it's it's trying to tell stories without bringing some sort of like agenda to it. That's right. Part of what we do. We're not trying to force people to become a believer or a skeptic. We just want to tell really interesting stories and do it in a in, in a very entertaining and honest way. Now, before we go, Seth, is there anything you want to plug? Where can people find you? Where can they talk to you? What do you have going on in the future? Uh, yeah, just smalltownmonsters.com is the best place to find uh, STM info. On the trail of .tv is the hub for On the Trail of. Um, and there's going to be some new stuff coming to both of those sites pretty soon. Like I said, we're we're gearing up to do like a members-only section on the main site um, that's going to have some live content and apparel and all, all kind of cool stuff. Um, and all the movies are on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play. Uh, they do not all of them are on iTunes, Google Play, but some of them are. But all of them are on Amazon, Vimeo on Demand, and Viddy Space. Um, or you can get them on DVD at smalltownmonsters.com in the web store section of the site. Excellent, good and stuff. you will be, and you'll be at the Kent Paranormal this weekend, correct? Yeah, yeah, I'll be there uh, Saturday. Okay, well, folks, it is now time uh, for us to leave you. Thank you to our gracious guest, Seth Breelove. You were an awesome, awesome guest. Uh, a big uh, an announcement I wanted to make that I've been in contact with. I've actually been in the con in contact with the uh, the um, 
the 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 Flatwoods Monster Museum, uh, some folks that run that. We're going to have them on the show. We I don't have a set date yet. I pitched it to them. We're going to get back to that later. Um, so in the future, they're going to be on the show. We're going to be talking about the Flatwoods Monster. I want to do a whole show dedicated to that because I haven't done that yet. And uh, I want to do that. So that's coming up. Um, other than that, as always, stay uncanny. Why would you be anything else? Good night, folks. That's right. See everybody next week.